Well, it's good to be with you here in worship and look forward to starting this new series with you where we will be beginning in Proverbs chapter one. And so if you have a Bible and you wanna turn there, and if you don't have a Bible, there's some here in the West Auditorium that you can use in the pew racks. There's some in the East Auditorium. And even if you're worshiping online, there's some like links and buttons you can push to make sure you can join with us. And so that was not that funny, actually. And so if you're new with us, my name is Brian. I look forward to looking at God's word with you here uh, this morning. But as you turn there, uh, I love uh, the story of the first century rabbi, Rabbi Akiva, when it comes to what we're looking at here in the days ahead. Uh, The story goes, he was walking home one evening at dusk, and after getting lost in thought, he had wandered past his turn to head home, and he had mistakenly wandered into a Roman military outpost uh, where the guard, not seeing the rabbi, uh, shouts out, who goes there? And the rabbi kind of comes to his senses, you know, realizing where he is and where he had wandered to. Uh, and then the soldier's voice booms again. He says, who are you and what are you doing here? And the rabbi responded, how much do they pay you to stand there and ask those two questions? Uh, to which the uh, guard, realizing that he was not a threat, that it was a Jewish rabbi in front of him, uh, he says, they pay me five drachmas a week to stand here and ask those questions. And Rabbi Akiva, he said this, he said, I will double your pay if you will stand outside of my door and ask me those two questions every morning as I exit my house. Who are you and what are you doing here? Today we begin a new series uh, entitled uh, Proverbs, The Art of Living, where we are looking at how it is that we can answer those questions. Because we know that as we look for what it is to live in the art of living, that when it comes to the information that we have for that, there's no shortage. Uh, there's no shortage of information. Uh, you're probably aware of the phrase or the, the, the kind of the umbrella statement that we live in, quote, the information age. Well, interestingly, that is a term that was coined in the 1970s. The information age was from the 70s. And so if that was true in the 70s, what does it mean now with the rise of the internet and social media and computers to access all of it that we can just, you know, uh, pull right out of our pockets. Uh, it's like, I mean, people, it's like, they, they pull them out like they're like, like slinging a six-shooter revolver or something. It's like, it used to be draw, but now it's like, you need some information, you need to know how to get somewhere. It's like, Google. And, you know, you're like racing with your friend to figure out the information you need. I came across an article recently from uh, some findings from Google's research that Google CEO presented at, at a talk uh, reporting on their research, uh, reporting that, quote, Prior to 2003, mankind had generated a sum total of five exobytes of content historically. Uh, That from the beginning of humanity through 2003, we have generated five exobytes of content. Or uh, an exobyte, it's a billion gigabytes. So five billion gigabytes. That's a a lot of iPhones, basically, is what uh, we could add that up to. But today, it is estimated that humanity generates that same amount of content, five billion gigabytes, every two days. Every two days is the equivalent of what we had leading up to 2003. When you think about it, it's not hard to get our heads around between texts and emails and photos and videos and posts and articles and comments to go with all of them. It's safe to say that uh, we have moved from the information age to information overload. 
information overload. So I think we would agree, there's plenty of information, but when it comes to information, or what we might even say the acquisition of it, which would be knowledge, that there is a significant difference between knowledge and wisdom. There is a difference between knowledge and wisdom, that knowing is certainly not the same thing as applying, and learning is not the same thing as living. That wisdom is knowledge applied, knowledge applied to living. And then for our purposes, while we gather, it is God's wisdom. It is God's knowledge applied to the living of our lives. That's what we're after. We're after God's wisdom, God's knowledge lived out in the functional living of our lives. And we see a concentrated bank of this and an opportunity for us from God in the book of Proverbs. And so with that, let's go ahead and jump in to Proverbs chapter one, verse one, as the introductory words of this uh, book of the Bible uh, serves as the perfect introduction to our whole series. Proverbs one, starting in verse one. It says, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. And so we see right out of the gate who has penned these Proverbs. They're penned by Solomon, who is king of Israel, who succeeds his father, King David, uh, who's the prior king, about a thousand years before Jesus, or about a thousand years BC. And as Solomon steps into that role, God appears to Solomon. As he steps into his role as king, he appears to Solomon in a dream, as recorded in 1 Kings chapter 3 in the Bible. And God says to Solomon, he says, ask me, ask me whatever you want, ask whatever you want of me, and I will give it to you. To which Solomon, realizing the life task ahead of him as stepping into uh, the king of Israel, he asked God for wisdom and discernment. Wisdom and discernment. Uh, and, and God says, because you've asked for an honorable thing, I'm going to give this to you. Because you didn't ask for you know, fame and riches and all this, I'm going I'm to give you wisdom and, and so much more. Uh, but it's interesting, because you know, obviously as a king, he's going to have fame and fortune, so maybe he didn't feel like he had to ask for that. I don't know. But I love the way that Pastor Skip Heitzig puts it, uh, you know, applying the opportunity of Solomon maybe before our lives and what we have. He says it this way, that you might have money, but if you don't have wisdom to go along with that bank account, you will lose it. You might have fame, but if you don't have wisdom in your life, your fame will ruin you. Or you might even have a long life, like you want to live a long time, but if you don't have wisdom in that, what good is that long life? And so Solomon, he records much of that received God-given wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Uh, and so our English word, that word proverb, it comes from the Latin word proverbium. Proverbium, which is actually a breakdown of two Latin words, the word pro and the word verbium. And so the word pro, it, uh, it means on behalf of or even instead of. And verbium, it is the word for word or words. And so uh, Proverbs is, you could say, instead of words or more specifically, a proverb is a few words instead of a lot of words. That is a proverb. Uh, we might call it in our day or just kind of in common language, maybe an axiom or an adage or, or a saying. Miguel de Cervantes, the 16th century Spanish author, he says it this way. He says, a proverb is a short sentence based on long experience. I like that. I like that the idea that based on a whole lot of living and life and evidence behind just a few words uh, we have in a proverb. They are 
concentrated nuggets of truth that as we chew on them and dwell on them and reflect on them, uh, as you, uh, you could say, turn them over in your mind as we read them, that there is that much more to gain from them. And every culture has its proverbs or its axioms, its adages, its sayings. Uh, we have many in our culture, which you're, you know, can probably help me finish the sentences of. In fact, let's go and make this a play-along game here in the West Auditorium. East Auditorium, jump in at home. You can play as you see fit. So help me finish these, these, uh, these adages from our culture. Uh, honesty is the best. You're on it. Nothing ventured, nothing. Better late than. Don't throw the baby out with the. You guys are good. Strike while the iron is awesome. Wipe your toothpaste out of the sink or I'll clean the toilet with your toothbrush. Not in your, is that just us, Jeff? Is that just, oh, that's just something in our household. I thought that was more ubiquitous. All right. So every culture has its proverbs, but the difference The difference between our cultural context sayings, the difference between everyday adages and axioms in our culture and the book of Proverbs is one key reality, and that is inspiration. Inspiration, and not like inspiration like you can do it, but inspiration as in the doctrinal, theological reality that this is the inspired word of God, that these Proverbs are God's word for us. And so Proverbs is not just a series of good sayings, it's God's sayings. Or you might not say uh, it's good advice. It is actually God's advice. And so the purpose of these Proverbs, uh, Proverbs chapter one goes on to say, okay, what are these short sayings for? It says this, it is for gaining wisdom. It is for gaining wisdom and instruction for understanding words of insight. That the purpose of Proverbs is for us to gain wisdom, to become wise. That word wise or wisdom is used 125 times throughout the book of Proverbs. And the aim of the book is simply to do that, to obtain and apply God's wisdom. And that wisdom, that original word in the Hebrew is the word chokmah, chokmah. And its root form, it literally means to be skilled at or to be an expert at something. Uh, Like we might think of it being uh, an expert at or being skilled at like maybe a tradesperson, like you're skilled at carpentry or you're skilled at welding or building or designing something. And so hokma in the context of Proverbs, uh, wisdom means to have, you could say, the skill to live well or to be an expert in godly living or, or really the title of our series that we would be able to uh, grow in the art of living wisely, that the purpose of Proverbs is for us to gain and live in wisdom. And so Solomon goes on, he says, uh, to describe what this wisdom looks like. He says it's, uh, verse three, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior. Uh, Another word for that could be disciplined behavior, like a disciplined life in doing what is right, in doing what is just, and doing what is fair. Verse four, for giving prudence to those who are simple. Uh, simple, that would be uh, those who are otherwise without wisdom. So like a simpleton, thinking too simplistic, thinking naive, uh, that instead to give knowledge, to give discretion, it says, to the young. And young, really, that's a relative term as well because we always, until the day that we don't, have time ahead of us to grow in wisdom, to grow older in wisdom, not just in age. Uh, A number of years ago, I learned of a practice uh, that um, 
it's a, it's a Latin term, another Latin word, called a florilegellum, uh, which is a fancy word for basically a collection of sayings or writings or important things that you can uh, use to reflect on. And so in a Christian practice, uh, what you do is you take a journal of some kind and you actually capture passages of scripture and verses and things that uh, have particular meaning to you that you can come back to time and time again. And so as I, I started this a long time ago, but the thing that I have more of more than any other is Proverbs. I've got page after page of Proverbs because I just, I, I don't know how to say it. It's just like intuitively as a young man, I just knew like I wanted wisdom. Like I, I don't have a clue what I'm doing and I need all the help that I can get. And so you think about, you know, um, graduation, you know, we were married like six days after college. So what does it look like to be wise and being a new husband and uh, then going into the ministry? How can I be wise about that? And, you know, becoming a dad. And I'm even thinking of late with, you know, the transition that we have between Pastor Wayne and I, uh, like I just want more and more wisdom. Uh, and, and it is intuitive. I think we feel that, that when we see it, we're drawn to it. But it's not just intuition. It is actually a biblical reality that it is wise to want to pursue more wisdom. Uh, that it's, that's better than anything we can get. Proverbs 16, 16 says it this way. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver. Or Proverbs eight eleven. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. So Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5, it goes on. It says, with this wisdom, let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let them add to their learning. And so when you think about adding to what we already have, uh, it's funny. You know, if you've read the Bible, um, you know, why is it that you keep reading it? Like, like, say you've already read it. Like, why do you keep reading it? I, I don't know that I've had someone come up to me and say, hey, oh, yeah, I've read the Bible. I've done that. Like, check. Like, I'm done with it. Like, it's, a, it's like a one pass, and then you're done. I mean, this church, it's been, you know, teaching the Bible for 188 years. You know, you think by now maybe you've gotten it, right? So why is it that you keep coming back to hear it over and over and over again? Well, because it's wise of you. It is wise of you to return back to what the Lord has for you in adding to your learning. Other translations translate it this way, that the wise may become even wiser. It's why all throughout the scriptures we have these refrains like, let me remind you, or do not forget, or remember, like recalling over and over, like the song we just sang that the worship arts team had written uh, for us. It's, it's this over and over again, we are returning to who God is and his wisdom for us in our lives. Proverbs 4.13 specifically says it this way, to hold on to what you've been taught. Don't let it go, guard it well. And we do that when we revisit over and over and over again. Uh, and we feel this. I mean, we know, we've witnessed this in others, and again, we're drawn to it, I think, uh, to a person who has wisdom, uh, but yet at the same time, they don't have this sense of like they've got all the wisdom, like they've arrived, like they've got it, and they can check that off. Uh, there's no air of having arrived. It's like a wise person. It's, it's like they want to hear it again. They want to be reminded. They want wisdom reinforced. Uh, to borrow from Rabbi Akiva, they want to uh, reinforce every morning the wisdom to the answers to the questions, why are you here and what are you doing here? We want to let the wise continue to grow wiser by adding to our learning. It goes on, and let discerning, the discerning get guidance so that we can get the understanding of Proverbs and parables, so we can understand the sayings and the riddles of the wise. 
It is because Proverbs is, as Cervantes said, a short sentence based on a long experience that it is just a few words full of and filled with much wisdom. It's because of that reality that we are, over the course of this series, uh, you could say rather than you know, race through and run through as many Proverbs as possible, we actually want to guide you in extracting as much as possible by repeatedly reading over and over, reflectively, prayerfully, a single chapter of Proverbs over and over each week. Uh, we're gonna, it's going to be a little bit different approach than probably you've taken on any other Bible reading plan where normally you read a, a chunk of the Bible or a book of the Bible straight through. Instead, because Proverbs is written differently than any other book of the Bible, we're going to read it differently than any other book of the Bible, realizing that a little bit, just a little bit, can go a long way. Uh, to illustrate this, uh, recently our staff, uh, we were welcoming our new discipleship pastor, Pastor Adam Hammerlink, and we, we were doing in the staff meeting what you do in staff meetings when you have a new team member. You're introducing yourselves, you know, it's like your name, your role, how long you've been here, and then just to kind of make it a little more interesting, like, okay, how about like a fun fact or some, you know, strange or unusual habit or something that you can share with the group? And so I shared my unusual habit uh, of and I'll share it with you, of I have a habit of every day, the very first thing I do every single morning of my life is I eat a single bite of donut. I eat one bite of donut every day. Now I know there's a saying, you know, an apple a day keeps the doctor away, but a bite of donut a day keeps Brian happy all day. Here's the story behind it. Uh, so, um, one, so how I t I'm a coffee every morning kind of person, and I normally, historically, have always put cream and sugar in my coffee. But one of the things I discovered was if I would be like out at like a dinner or something, and then there would be a dessert after, and it's like, do you want coffee with that dessert? I'd be like, yes. But I never wanted to put sugar in the coffee with the dessert. It was like sweet and sweet. It was like gross. And so I liked having a sweet dessert, but with unsweetened coffee. And then I had this eureka moment, like, wait a second. I don't have to just wait for dessert after a dinner every once in a while. Like, this could be my life every day. And so, sure enough, I had this little plan where I now do not add sugar to my coffee, but I have, as the very first thing, a bite of very specific Entenmann's rich frosted chocolate donut. And then... I drink my unsweetened coffee. And it's become like part of my routine uh, to the point where like I have, like I am never, like Jessica gets really nervous if she hears that I'm gonna run out because I, so we always have a box of these in the donut, or in the freezer, at least one if not two. In fact, my, my kids' friends come over and it's like, why is your dad, or they said, what's with all these expired donuts in the freezer? And they're like, oh, those are my dad's, don't touch those. Because what I do is I freeze them and I get one out at the beginning of each week and I put it in a little Tupperware and then with a knife, I perfectly cut out my little bite of donut uh, that I eat. Oh, and there you have it. Uh, this is an aerial view of my actual Tupperware. Uh, satellite shot, I think it is. And so I just take one bite a day and just work through that donut one bite at a time all week long. Uh, it, it's become a problem uh, to the point where on our family packing list, like we have on the list, like dad's Tupperware with at least one, if maybe not two Entenmann's donut, depending on the length of, you know, stay wherever we're going to be to make sure I have enough bites to get me through my time. Some of you may call that an addiction. <laughs> I prefer the term an unbreakable routine. <laughs> and so what we're encouraging you 
We're encouraging you to each day. We're not going to try to get you to eat an entire box of Bible donuts. Uh, we're not going to give you this long, lengthy reading plan, uh, but we're going we're gonna to flip the script on our reading plan a little bit, and we just want to give you a bite, uh, a single chapter of Proverbs, uh, uh, you know, just a spiritual bite of rich chocolate frosted goodness uh, to spiritually uh, really just build within you throughout the week. And so hopefully you were able to catch uh, Pastor Adam's video this past Friday in our What's Happening email, and if you don't get those emails, you can go to our website, firstdecatur.org, click on What's Happening, you can also get those emails every Friday. Friday, which will reintroduce each week our next seven days. So this past uh, Friday, and you can just start today if you want, read chapter one of Proverbs every day this week, and then Pastor Adam will jump in midweek to kind of see what he's uh, observing that's kind of elevating. Then this unique, uh, it's actually an ancient practice where we read over and over and watch how the Holy Spirit just elevates new things in his same word as it intersects with our life time and time again. So I'm excited to see what God's gonna do in our lives as we extract the most out of these few words uh, each and every week, a chapter of Proverbs, same chapter for seven days straight. Again, with this goal in mind, that as we read, as we reflect, as we chew on these Proverbs, that we might gain in our life, verse six, an understanding of the Proverbs and the parables of the sayings and the riddles of the wise. And as we do, may we know this. Uh, Verse seven, last verse, the bottom line that in all this wisdom, know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so when it comes to wisdom, wisdom always begins with God. That God in his infinite and perfect wisdom, he is the creator and the maker of this truth and the maker of wisdom. His true wisdom for us is going to give us the, excuse me, the art of living as we are always beginning with God. King David, Solomon's father, he said it this way in the book of Psalms. He says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Or quite literally, no God. Like, I do not want God in my life and certainly not at the beginning or the center of it. And so if the fool says no God, well then the wise person says, yes God. The wise person says, yes God, more God at the center and at the beginning of all things in my life. And Solomon says, and the Proverbs say, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of this. Now this phrase, or something akin to it, is repeated 14 times throughout the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord. And furthermore, if it is the starting block, if it's the baseline, like if it's, you know, the beginning for wisdom, then it would be wise for us to walk out of week one of this series with the wisdom of knowing what the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom even means. Because let's be honest, that's a, a phrase that now, and I've been asked, like, what, is that, what does that mean? Because left to its own devices can feel a little confusing. Well, a supplemental book that um, actually served as really the inspiration for this series is a book I uh, received about a year ago. Uh, it's, a, it's called God's Wisdom for Navigating Life, uh, a year of daily devotions through the book of Proverbs by Pastor Timothy Keller and his wife, Kathy Keller. And so it's 365 daily devotions. It is the book that I have I've given away more as a gift than any other book uh, before. It's, uh, it's available in the cafe. Actually, I think I heard they just ran out, so uh, they'll be getting more. You can find them wherever uh, you buy books. But um, out of those 365 days, uh, he spends 17 days specifically on this topic, on what does the fear of the Lord actually mean? And so to borrow from his content, uh, Pastor Timothy Keller, he puts it this way, uh, commenting specifically actually on Proverbs 1, verse 7. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, 
the way that the alphabet is the beginning of reading. Uh, of reading. It says, there is no wisdom at all without it. But what is it? What is it? And then he gives some biblical examples and instances where this takes place, but then he summarizes. He says, there is a kind of fear that is just the dread of punishment. But there is also a standing in awe of someone with the resulting fear of doing anything to grieve or dishonor that person. It is in the second sense that we must understand the true fear of the Lord, that it increases the more that we admire and praise him in wonder, that we are to be in awe and amazement of God, of who he is, of his good and wise ways. And so I liken this to uh, the idea of like knowing that like your like the discipline of your dad is for real. Like, you know, maybe you've been acting a fool all day and mama says, hey, you just wait till your father comes home. Uh, you know, it's like a healthy understanding of like, hey, when dad's come home, his strength and authority, it's, it's, gonna, it's gonna mean something. But on the other side of that coin is like in a right and healthy home that there is this assurance that your dad, that his strength, that his power, that it is for you, that it is for your love, is for his love unconditionally for you, that he has ultimately what's best for you in his strength and his power and his authority. It's, it says this in Proverbs 14, 26. It says that actually whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. That with God's strength and his power and authority, we then, actually, the fear of God is a fortress. It is the strength of God. It is a refuge for us. And then in that, it's out of this, this trust and this thankfulness and respect that as a beloved son, as a beloved daughter of God, that it actually, it grieves you. It grieves you when you disobey or disrespect or dishonor God. And so a quick example of this that we see in scripture is through Joseph uh, in, in, in the book of Genesis, uh, that he has a pretty rough start to his goal at life. Uh, he is sold by his own flesh and blood into slavery by his own brothers, and he ends up as a slave in a wealthy man's house, a guy by the name of Potiphar. And so Joseph, even in the midst of this difficult stuff, uh, he's still aiming to build his life on the wisdom of that begins with a healthy fear of the Lord. And so in this situation, uh, actually on several occasions, the boss's wife, Potiphar's wife, makes several advances at him, we'll say. And Joseph, uh, he actually ends up uh, being framed by her and put into prison uh, because of his refusal to give in. But Joseph, his ultimate reason for refusing her, and, I, and this is what I want you to get, is this is what he says. He says, this is why, this is why. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? That it is his reverence, his awe, his love, his respect, his fear of the Lord in a healthy understanding, this reverence of God that he believes, he knows that what God tells him to do and what God tells him not to do is for his best. And that's what we have in our God whose strength and power and the fear of the Lord understand rightly is that we have uh, the opportunity what we are told not to do and what to do, that it is for our best that God has given us these things, that we don't want to go against God's will and our ways. And we know which was best because we've experienced, like we said this a few weeks ago, that when we go against, uh, you know, God's will and ways, we go like a plank of wood, go against the grain of his, his will and ways that we tend to get splinters. But when we go with God's will and ways, his wisdom, that things tend to go more smoothly. 
And that regardless of which direction we choose, there are consequences, natural and supernatural, to our life's choices, for better or for worse. And so for us, the book of Proverbs, it is an opportunity for us to go with the grain, his will, his ways, his wisdom as to how he created you and me, how he created the world around us, and how he created us to intersect with the world around us. And that is the greatness of our God. But then last point, a huge part of God's greatness that we must not miss is also God's grace. That a significant reality within the power and the authority of who our God is, he is giving us his grace. Knowing that when it comes to living his will and ways, that we will go against the grain of time. We will miss it. We will not live this out perfectly. And so it's his forgiveness, his mercy, and his grace for when we do fail that you could say is like the secret sauce to all of this. Pastor Timothy Keller, uh, again, in the same devotional, he says it this way. He says, to our surprise, the fear of the Lord increases the more that grace and forgiveness is experienced. That this is the key to Proverbs. You see, all this advice for daily living, it assumes a holy God who nonetheless redeems by grace. And then really cautioning against missing the richness of God's character, he warns, a God who accepts only the most moral people will inspire a slavish fear of punishment. And yet a God who simply just accepts everyone might evoke a warm affection. But there's a third way. A third way that only a belief that we are lost, but freely saved sinners creates within us a joyful yet awe-filled assurance of his love. That this is wisdom's beginning. Or as the book of Proverbs says, to take a, a lot of words in just a few words, it's through love and faithfulness that sin is atoned for and through the fear of the Lord that evil is avoided. And so that's what we're after. We're after God's will and ways and wisdom, but all under the umbrella and the covering of his grace, all of it by his authority. And so let's pray together as we embark on this journey uh, as a church for the days ahead. Heavenly Father, we are thankful. We are thankful for your gift of your wisdom made known to us and revealed in your word that it is far better than gold and silver and rubies. Uh, and so, Lord, as we step into uh, this week, if we haven't already, reading and take, getting the most out of what you have just in your first chapter of Proverbs, we ask now your Holy Spirit would um, bring your word that's active and alive to be active and alive in our lives as you reveal and elevate uh, new things through the same words that you want to show us each day uh, this week and in the chapters ahead uh, for the weeks to come. We are our thankful that it is your Holy Spirit's power that makes all of this possible and a reality, uh, which in all of it is led and driven by your greatness, which is manifested in your grace. May we live in it and walk in it as we walk in your wisdom. In Jesus' name we praise your church. Amen.